This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 65. And with me, Johan Edebo in Sweden. Hi, Johan. Good afternoon. Uh, Corey Morningstar in um, the greater Toronto area. Hi, Good Corey. morning. Hello. Uh, Varun Mather in New Delhi. Hi, Varun. Good evening. And Hiroyuki Hamada um, in New York on Long Island. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi. Um, <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, Podcast 65, it's been, um, I think, three weeks since we did yeah, one yeah. of these. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff probably to talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the U.S.-NATO-Russia uh story uh continues to to be the the headline in most uh mainstream news and it's you know it's i mean we've talked about this and it's almost boring to to continue talking about uh and and i've done like five press tv appearances or something and i even there i feel like i'm repeating myself at a certain point uh and 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 people don't People are really resistant to, I, even more resistant than with COVID, to having a discussion about it. People are extraordinarily defensive, it seems to me, uh, on this topic. And, uh, you know, uh, Sweden and Finland have joined NATO now. Uh, amazing. I mean, it happened like yeah. with the flick of a switch, kind of. Uh, what's the let's talk about that briefly johan what's the climate of, i mean what's the feeling in sweden about this yeah that's yeah it's hard to gauge i think but most people are skeptical the majority are skeptics and uh, a sizable minority i think would uh, would vote yes in a referendum but the majority i think wouldn't uh, according to the latest polls so that's interesting in relation to how all of this process supposedly affirms democracy and all of that procedurally but i mean i was kind of uh, kind of astonished in my in my social uh, network to see like how several people after the the decision was was made or or, or made official, they expressed this this great relief, you know, of, of not having to make these hard decisions by themselves, like like these great um, brilliant politicians uh, have taken upon themselves to do. Oh, and and the, the debate had been so adult. They they emphasized <laughs> like, I mean, I, I couldn't really believe my my eyes reading this because they seem relieved at the recognition of their lack of sovereignty and their actual political disenfranchisement. I mean, thank God I'm not a sovereign citizen in my country or something like that. You know, it was yeah, it was really astonishing to me. Yeah. And that's the that's the yeah general but point. I find that I find that in general that that if you if you broach the subject of of the absence of democratic process yeah. from COVID through the, you know like NATO um, joining NATO and so forth, or or here in Norway, the the suddenly the U.S. is building a submarine base and an air base, mm -hmm. and there was no discussion in media. Yeah. Yeah. There was no discussion. I mean, it just suddenly happened, uh, and but most people shrug when you mention it to them. You know, they they think um, 
NATO is there to protect them. And they're kind of besotted with the idea of having U.S. soldiers in yeah. the country. And, you know, they will probably learn to uh, regret that. But but for the moment, they are <clears throat> they are quite, um, you know, giddy with uh, with excitement that, you know, American GIs will be roaming the country. And I see, I should add that, you know, I'm pretty far north and, and it's, if you head north from where I am, you get into the, the far north. And I have noticed uh, on the back roads and in the mountains, um, an extraordinary number of military convoys um, that are not entirely uh, Norwegian either. Uh, mm -hmm. so there's a lot going on that probably isn't even being, isn't even being talked about. Um, but, but the discussion is interesting because when I broached the, the, the question, um, the, and, and that, that like, for instance, the Polish government is very far right wing. Everybody knows this. They're, they're fascistic and, and anti-democratic and, and crazy reactionaries, uh, there's a kind of weird indifference to this. Well, well you know, okay. Uh, because there is this detachment. I think people experience uh, a detachment from, from their government and, and the, you know, the policies that are being enacted and the decisions being made. And mm -hmm. uh, there's no, there's no, they don't feel part of that. And they seem, as you just pointed out, perfectly happy to yeah. not be part of it. So it's it's peculiar. Um, and and uh, speaking of COVID, uh, now we have monkeypox. Is that the other? The, does anyone? <laughs> I'll jump in here. Okay, yeah. so I I came across a paper a couple of days ago. Um, I haven't been online very much, but I did. I was on long enough to find this. It's from 2019. It's a conference call, um, an investor meeting. And so I just want to highlight some of the things that were in it. There's actually an audio that was um, part of this meeting, but I haven't been able to find it yet. But it, there's 18 slides, and I'll just sort of talk about some of the highlights um, so slide five, expand the commercial footprint and capabil in capabilities, um, take advantage of core manufacturing capabilities and capacity, build commercial infrastructure to drive profitable growth. This is the vaccine for the monkeypox. Um, what's it called? G Geneos. Um, it's Nordic. Um, anyway, slide six, develop through a 15 year partnership with US government. 22 clinical studies with more than 7,800 subjects, that means people, including highly um, immunocompromised people, 28 million doses delivered to the US NSS prior to approval. Um, slide seven to eight, US now able to fulfill vaccine requirements for entire population. Um, Genios, I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly, is approved for use broadly, including in populations that are not recommended to receive traditional replicating smallpox vaccines. Populations include people with weakened immune systems, which we actually have now, and those with eczema or household members with eczema. Um, slide nine, expanding the smallpox market. Post-approval market opportunities for the general adult population expanded beyond national stockpile. U.S. stockpiling pre-approval, 
EUA to protect 10 million citizens at risk post-approval to protect 66 million citizens. Um, let's see, recurring sales potential. Seek to reinvote 2002 US smallpox vaccination guidelines and that's um, 0.5 million and up to 10 million healthcare workers. Uh, slide 10, concurrent with approval of FDA granted Bavarian Nordic uh, priority review voucher under the material threat medical countermeasure PV, um, PRV program. A PRV can be used to accelerate the FDA's review of a future human drug application and it is also transferable. The company intends to sell the voucher to a third party. So I don't know who that third party is yet. Slide 11, risk of international spread. During the past four, 12 months, four cases detected originating from Nigeria with no obvious skin lesions at the time of travel confirmed in the UK, Israel, and Singapore. This monkeypox animal reservoir has not been identified despite animal surveillance efforts. Um, 12 and 13, monkeypox first commercial target. The only approved monkeypox vaccine um, Genios approved for any person over 18 determined to be at high risk for monkeypox. Monkeypox market opportunities, potential target market populations for monkeypox, those living within endemic areas, those traveling to endemic areas for business le leisure, charity work. Nigeria has over 2 million and around travelers per year with an estimated 300,000 um, coming from the US and UK. Multinational companies with large local and expatriate um, presence, example, oil and gas in industry. On slides 15 and 16, a solid business opportunity. New mm. revenue with significant upside pricing expected to be in line with other travel vaccines. Peak sales of around 65 million US dollars anticipated. Um, additional factors not included that could increase sales. Ex-US travelers to all affected countries, multinational companies operating outside of Nigeria. And then in um, bold print, it actually says who recommendations um, local use in affected African countries, local use in the U.S. and EU, and that's it. Wow. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds like, a, like a strategy for releasing a new drink or some chocolate into the market. Right, yeah, and it's so it's insane. just part of new bio um, economy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, which clearly is huge. Johan, you want to... Yeah, thank you so much, Corey, for that. It was it was very interesting to hear. I just wanted to, to add a, a little little bit on that topic because, I mean, I think it was three days ago when, when this monkeypox hit the news. And uh, today, from the 22nd to the 28th, we have this WHO summit where the pandemic preparedness treaty will be discussed. I think that's an astonishing coincidence how the... The, the news, the, the random news processes kind of coincide with the, and anyway, I just want to read you a few headlines from the, the news feed. I think Biden now a couple of hours ago says he's concerned that the spread will be consequential. The WHO expects more cases to emerge globally. We have a multi-country outbreak in non-endemic countries, you know, where the normal reserve isn't nor generally found so so it's it's weird that it kind of pops up outside of those spheres anyway you, you get the idea yeah um <clears throat> well and it looks exactly like shingles right if <laughs> i've seen, seen photographs and it looks identical to shingles but you know i'm not a doctor 
and nor do I play one on TV. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, the, 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 I mean, sort of pulling back from all of this stuff, you know, if we look at the last three years, because I've been thinking about this a lot, the, and, I, and it's what the new blog post I'm working on is, is kind of about this, the, the, the effect that the digitalization of everything, which was kind of complete by 2003, has the effect that has had on people, on, on how people think or don't think, and uh, the, the, the sort of strange passivity and um, submission that, that you see, at least in, in Western societies, uh, and, and, and this is certainly my anecdotal experience is that, is that, is that there is a, there is a lethargy. It's not just an intellectual lethargy. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of total lethargy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think the, the COVID thing, the lockdowns, I mean, they be, that became an allegory for, for, for humanity mm -hmm. in general, that people were intellectually locked down and they were physically locked down and, and they accepted it with, um, for the most part. I mean, there were enormous protests and I guess we should always remember that, but, uh, but somehow this, this giant NGO corporate governmental machine um, just keeps rolling out these, these decrees and they have these conferences and they announce what they're going to do to people and, and that's that. And meanwhile, I don't know what it's like exactly elsewhere, but prices here just continue to rise precipitously um gas is 27 now it was a year ago it was 12 um uh food when and there's quite noticeable shortages of certain things um there are a lot of empty shelves it's very odd and this is norway you know the, one of the richest countries in the world that has enormous you know oil holdings and and why electricity is so high in a country with, you know, uh, enormous uh, water reserves and, and dams and electro, uh, what's the word? Hydroelectric plants. Uh, it's very strange, but uh, it, the net result of this is that more and more people are canceling their summer vacations. They're going to stay home and, you know, because you can't afford to drive anywhere. You can't afford uh, whether you have an electric car or a old fashioned gas car. Uh, you simply can't do it. And you can't afford to take your family places because the cost of food is so extraordinarily high now. And, and you see people in this very advanced, very rich country in Scandinavia, uh, suddenly cutting coupons and, and you know, uh, eating uh, very differently than they did a year or two ago. So uh, that that inflation or hyperinflation that's coming um, is already here. And and yeah. it's just not being discussed, really. But it's but it hasn't stopped. It hasn't peaked. It's going to get worse. Um, yeah. Varun. 
Yeah, and it's also this hyperinflation is at the moment is being attributed to quote unquote the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Even though you've seen like decades of complete war ravaging through the global south and it hasn't disrupted anything. And now you have a tiny country which apparently is going to uh, stop wheat production, which is the Ukraine. And suddenly you have a food crisis. This makes no sense to me at all. The attribution. Yeah, yeah. No, well, but I mean, one discussion I had this week was about this, you know, the 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 plight of the poor Ukrainians um, uh, displaced by, you know, this conflict because Russia, in quotation marks, invaded them. Uh, but but the EU was turning away black African refugees, Muslim refugees, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan over the last three years, we're turning them away at gunpoint from the EU. Um, and and there was that recent incident on, at the border of Belarus and Poland, and Poland had guns aimed at a paltry 2,000 refugees from uh, mostly Syria, I think, but some from Afghanistan. Um, and, and, and nobody notices this contradiction. I, it's just, it just passes without comment. So we are seeing, that's the other theme of, of um, what I'm writing about recently, but been thinking about, um, is uh, 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 I'm getting weird pop-ups on my computer here. That was strange. Um, the, the theme of the, the rise of the far right in Europe, the rise of fascism, the rehabilitation of fascism, and you see it just everywhere. And and the the constant conflation of communism and fascism, uh, it's really amazing. And the you know the Russia Ukraine story is is being rewritten as it's happening. It's quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And and. Uh, and it's disturbing. And I was also thinking of Anders Breivik the other day as sort of the poster boy for the front edge of, um, of, of this new fascist sensibility. Yeah, Johan. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to mention, I suppose you've seen this, but the, the US has uh, invaded Somalia to fight uh, the, the fascists or the terrorists or the Islamists. I mean, you know, Al-Shabaab, which uh, are affiliated with Al-Qaeda, who, whom the US was uh, you know, allied to in the, in the Middle Eastern wars a few years back. Uh, and I mean, shouldn't we post these uh, Somali flags on our profile pictures? I think uh, Hopkins mentioned that day back. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm sorry. I lost sound there for a split oh, second. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I was done. Yeah. Maybe you missed it. I, I, I'm not going to repeat myself, but the U.S. has sent troops <laughs> to Somalia to fight um, Al Qaeda. Yeah. That part I got. Yeah. No, I, it, no, it's, yeah, it's, okay. it's, 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 it's extraordinary. And, you know, um, the Saudis with, you know, U.S. soldiers in Riyadh, military officers uh, helping with, you know, uh, coordination of, you know, yeah. targets and so on. They're still bombing Yemen. That hasn't stopped. I mean, that war machine goes on 24-7 globally and, and, but 
there is seems to be in the general public the people that are you know that watch the television while they pedal at the gym as you mentioned Hiroyuki um, before we started recording you know what the the narrative they internalize is is um is very different from what we are talking about and it's it's just context free it people are impervious to facts it it if you tell them but you know putin went to the un in in i think 2015 2018 um asking for peacekeepers um asking that you know the un uh help with uh preventing this shelling of donbass and he was ignored the russians were ignored this makes no dent in in this personal narrative that people have kind of purchased in the marketplace of their mind mm -hmm. and and history facts nothing I, the you know you try to tell people look at the u.s track record from vietnam you know haiti central america um libya syria you know indonesia i mean go on and on and on and all the way back to you know the war in the philippines the united fruit company on and on and on mm. the entire 20th century was one of u.s support for dictators training of death squads invasion to make uh countries friendly for western capital business friendly environments for western capital and to wipe out the scourge of communism. Those were the driving forces. <clears throat> and, and it has gone on for a hundred some years and people still seem to not want to learn that lesson. It is remarkable. I don't know. Johan. It's the, it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Corey. No, oh, Corey, go ahead. No, I, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say, it's like we need, um, we always need the other, you know, an enemy because if we don't have yeah. that, like right now, um, you know, Putin is to blame for everything, you know, food, short, food increases, um, fuel, everything is because of Putin. If we don't have this, then we have to look at our own governments and the system itself. And what kind of people are we if we um, look at that and acknowledge what's happening and don't do anything about it? So it's so much easier, you know, to blame an outside force. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. No, I mean, there is an enemy du jour. It is, there is a constant manufacturing of threat and, and menace, and, and usually in the person of some evil dictator who is both all powerful and weak, super advanced evil mastermind and, you know, cave dwelling primitive. All of these things exist simultaneously, always. Johan. Uh, yeah, and, and I think this this goes back to what you talked about in the beginning, how, you know, otherwise intelligent, conscientious people are nonetheless buying the narratives more or less uncritically. I mean, good, conscientious, intelligent people tend to do this. Uh, there was this, uh, this is not a good, an example of a good or conscientious person, but there, there was a guy called Hunter Avalone on the, the alt-right something on, on YouTube or something like that. And he supposedly turned leftist, uh, and in that context, he 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 said that uh, something to the effect that if you don't trust the CIA, who do you trust? <laughs> and that's a brilliant, brilliant statement. And the problem is, I think that most people in general, I mean, they would trust the CIA because. They're the good guys. I mean, in spite of all the problems, it's it's a self-correcting endeavor. It's uh, 
I mean, people generally think that our media institutions describe reality as it is, that it's it's not, you know, it's, it's basically a, a description of reality. Uh, that uh, propaganda is something that only evil dictators do and that that's kind of just, just lies. And, and I, we get back to this kind of core paradox uh, very often. And I'm thinking about how you, you go about to, to like educate away something like this. How, how do we like foster this, this critical thinking that's needed to, to independently look through these media illusions? And I mean, I was wondering what the situation, if Varun is experiencing something similar, because I live in basically a US client state that's been heavily propagandized for about a century. And I think India might have something reminiscent of an independent culture. So, so how, what's the situation over there? Um, I don't think that's true, Johan, unfortunately, because I think the the layers of propaganda in India after liberalization have been phenomenal, absolutely mm. phenomenal. And let's, I'll give you a small example here, which is that let's say that the CEO of Pfizer is now on video claiming oh, yeah. uh, track and trace uh, capabilities of medications that they're going to give people, <laughs> which is something that we were talking about in 2020 and everybody was blowing it off like some shitty conspiracy theory. The point now is that when you confront people that in, in a sense that I told you so, there is no response. Yeah. It's like you're yes, talking right. to people, right? Like that's, yeah. it's just yeah. like, it's as if, as if you're being right about having predicted this because you've <laughs> researched it and you know you have a tap on the vein of what the establishment is exactly doing, that it, it kind of makes people very insecure about their worldview, I think. Of course. And that's something that people don't want to have at all. And no. I think that, so if you combine something like this with an everyday struggle for survival and incredibly rising inflation and rates of unemployment in a country like India, and then you lay on this idea of casteism, which is very present in most of rural India. And then you have on top of that, this very toxic aspirational cycle, which has come from pop culture from in the sense like it's just entertainment, right? Like it's banal, it's hollow. There's no narrative. It's a, it's a ploy to disconnect mm. people from their natural evolutionary process. So the consciousness Absolutely. in that sense is shut down completely. There is no cognitive uh, capability left in people to actually look at international events and have an opinion about it at all no. anymore. No, they're just think, they're waiting for the. Sorry, go on, John. No, no, saying? go ahead. No, no, I'm just agreeing with you. I, I, I mean, this is what I find: is that there is no curiosity to learn, and I mean, they just accept the story, the master narrative, the manufactured narrative is accepted. But you can't, you can't overstate the importance of the culture industry, you know, of Hollywood. I mean, watch the opening episode of, say, every network drama and cop show, military show, espionage show. And maybe that would be 25 shows, maybe, probably not that many. 17 or 18. If you did that, and, and I pretty much do that because I'm still sort of connected to the industry, but um, I usually watch 15 minutes and, and can't take anymore. But 
But the point being that in every single show, the villain is Russian this year. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one, bar none. I've not found one yet in which in some way or other, Russia is not referred to as evil and Russians as unreliable, untrustworthy and deceitful. Every single one. So yeah, this, is, so this is what people watch, yeah. It's so obvious. It's unbelievable that it, it's so um, painfully uh, difficult to get people to see it when it's so blatant and, and everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so shocked that. Well, because I, I think I think people I don't mean to interrupt you. I want you to go on. Yeah. But I, but I think it's blatant to you and I. But people don't watch shows or read narratives. They don't read anymore at all. But if they don't watch movies or TV in the way that I think we all assume. I mean, it, it's a process of like pattern recognition. They, they very passively sort of consume this stuff so that, oh, Russian bad guys, that's just a, that's just a, a, a truism. It's, it's background noise. It's like, of course, it's common sense. Of course, the Russians are the bad guys. And the, and the networks know this, so they don't, if they've introduced a show in which, I don't know, you know, um, uh, Slovakians were the bad guys, people would like be, it would disrupt this, this sleep there, you know, this, this um, stupefaction they um, are, are under and, and that's not good for sales. I mean, that really is kind of how it works. I think people don't, they don't, they don't watch things with very much attention anymore. Anyway, I interrupted you. Please go on. No, I'm done. I, I <laughs> no. can't. I can't. I don't know where that little hand is today, so I'm just like blurting out. I'll stuff just forever. I'll just add. I'll just add quickly to what John you were saying is that that <laughs> when you look at <clears throat> these series, um, which are such heavy propaganda, anti-Russia or pro-CIA. There is always, they will release, there is like this intermittent release of very personal subjects that are very relatable to the mass audience. And so that kind of reinvents the, the, the trust in cinema for yeah. people, right? And yeah. I think Corey has written about this also, is the manufacturing of trust in through entertainment for the establishment. That is something that is very difficult to explain to people is that Actually, if you're watching fiction, it's fiction. And now even your news is fiction. And that's something that <laughs> they cannot get their heads around because the fiction is now so hyper real that the news of, uh, of war and destruction and murder and genocide and arms deals and all of this seems too much for people to absorb and digest and actually look at and understand it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like you were saying in the beginning about this disconnect. I think the disconnect comes from the collective trauma that we have faced all over the world because of how much horrifying incidences that we are continuously kind of barraged with the whole day, every day. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the disconnect. And, and so if there is hope, the hope is centered on the military industrial complex in all of these series, right? Like that's how it's yeah. working. No, I mean, 
the, the other factor, the other thing I have noticed, you know, being like an ex staff writer for shows at one time in my life, um, I have noticed that the protagonist and again, down the line, without exception, any of the Wolf shows, the, the retooling of stuff like Magnum and whatever, the new version of the Equalizer with Queen Lativa, all of it, the protagonist has a military background in each case. And uh, uh, whether the character is now a firefighter or a detective or an accountant, it doesn't matter. At some point, reference will be made to, yeah, I did two tours in Iraq. I was in Afghanistan for one. That's where I got injured or something. It is, and then somebody will go, oh, you know, thank you for your service or some horse shit. And, and uh, you know, this is, this is a 24-7 stream of, of like recruitment for the military. Now, the other side of this, the flip side of this is, yes, I think people passively sit and absorb this. And I just interrupted Corey and I was saying people watch stuff with pattern recognition and little more. That's true. But there is also, there is also an enormous skepticism in the working class, at least, about the military. Um, which is why every couple of years the U.S. government floats the idea of a draft again, because the volunteer military don't have enough people. Uh, they have to, you know, they have to stock those 900 military bases around the world, and they don't have enough people. Uh, and which is one of the one of the reasons for these proxy wars. They would rather that the EU send people, they would rather that Israel send people, Saudi Arabia send people, somebody, because the US doesn't have enough boots to put on the ground in these places. That was Obama's big turn. You know, make it drone warfare. A guy can sit in a, you know, uh, uh, a building in Nevada with his joystick and kill people in Libya. Uh, that's the ideal model for, for war right now is to, it's either privatized or it's, um, deterritorialized in a sense. Corey. Yeah. And that's another reason too, why, um, you know, in the States they have to keep the working class impoverished, right? So you get those people signing up for, for the military and not, or otherwise they'd have no one and they would have to draft. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I mean the people that sign up, I think a you know a, a large number um, are skeptical. They don't particularly want to join the military, but it's a way to get your you know college tuition paid or whatever. And um, as long as you go to a cheap school somewhere, uh, uh, but and and you know it doesn't matter to the U.S. government certainly whether people are uh, true believers or not they they're just cannon fodder they're just people to you know um occupy those bases because those bases generate jobs uh you know and and there are billions and billions and billions of dollars of contracts for you know companies like starbucks or you know sony or whatever because those bases have, uh, you know, Starbucks coffee shops, and they have, 
movie theaters and they have street lights even in many of them and you know they're little towns all over the world that's a big industry it generates a lot of work in the u.s a country that has very you know few jobs on offer if you shut down the military there would be a massive a massive depression instantly because um unemployment would would i mean it's terrible as it is it would be far worse um yeah who yo johan did you have your hand up there no no i think it's it's just old but but i mean i can get back to that old that point i was trying to make that we somehow need a, a like a thorough education of, of people in general away from this uh, this uh, deeply rooted subservience and, and dependence towards some sort of, of self-reliant critical thinking. I mean, I would say that we need a democratization not only of, you know, the means of production of goods, but also in terms of, of knowledge production. And I'm really interested in how, what, what your ideas are of, uh, on getting towards that end, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, this is a huge topic and, and it's really important because I think there, I think there's, there's two problems. And of course, I think in terms of the arts often, um, it, it, this, there was a quote somewhere and I forget who it was and it may have been Umberto Eco, oddly enough, but that, that for the fascist quality is anathema quality is a bad thing so you you mm. want to just rid the culture of quality in in its in its uh you know cultural production in the arts in knowledge anything um and and i think that's what we've seen i mean the the problem is always in when you know during the course of my theatrical career doing shows, I noticed the loss of audience, the loss of a, of a knowledgeable audience. Yeah. And, uh, and we, the artists, directors, actually, we would all talk about this um, without arriving at any solution, but uh, people, people don't know what's good or not good. Nice, and nice. the system produces junk for them to, you know, um, to absorb all the time, and and there is a great hostility to intellectualism and and to art and to serious art. Those ideas are derided in the you know the media all the time, and mm -hmm. people are always making fun of modern art and the pretensions of artists and stuff. The same way they make fun of psychoanalysis or intellectuals in general or philosophy, a bunch of eggheads. Um, that that hostility is is part of the propaganda. I mean, it's it's there all the time. So how do you get past it? I'm not sure, but I think that that you have to start with explaining to people that there is such a thing as quality. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, Hiroyuki, you yeah, haven't I, said anything. Oh, John, Corey. Okay, no, I wanted to hear from Hiroyuki actually. I wanted to know if Hiroyuki could talk about um, what happened to him I'm not sure if he feels comfortable about talking about it or not, but about what happened to him when he tried to speak, you know, about the um, um, the Russia-Ukraine thing when it started amongst his colleagues in the arts community and, you know, sort of the fallout from that. Oh, right. Well, uh, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's something uh, uh, I 
I somehow need to express. But you know what the, the thing is, it's really hard because um, uh, it's something that happened uh, in my community and uh, I care about the organization. I think they're doing a good job and uh, they have function to present art. And, uh, but at the same time, um, well, what happened was that the, uh, I was uh, told that I, um, uh, oh, <laughs> who's friend is that? Sorry, I'm gonna just mute. Well, um, so, you know, somebody uh, in the, uh, uh, the organization I belong to, um, uh, uh, the, one of the board members uh, came up uh, with um, a group email saying that uh, uh, this guy Hiroyuki is uh, uh, a Russian supporter and uh, I can't be uh, in the, uh, the board, you know, if he's there. So uh, he boycotted and uh, there are a few people uh, who's done the same thing from different parts, uh, different directions. And uh, so, you know, they're, the organization was cornered to uh, uh, basically get rid of me because, you know, they they are fearful that the, uh, uh, the organization is going to be uh, finished. You know, if it's labeled as a Russian uh, uh, cell or something, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. So, you know, I, I had to uh, uh, step down because um, otherwise they were, they were, they were going to just vote me out. And if they do, that's going to be in the record. And, um, uh, you know, I guess I care about the organization, you know, they're friends. And uh, um, I, I want the reason I was there was that I, I want to contribute. You know, I want arts in the society. I want uh, the uh, music played free to the community right. and uh, I wanted to be, and I was the only um, artist uh, board member. And uh, so, you know, um, well, you can, you can look at it from different perspective. There, there, there's no way around that what happened was uh, uh, very, very bad, very, very bad for the community, very, very bad for the uh, uh, arts community in general. And, um, um, so, um, you know, but there is no, um, there's nothing I could do because, no. you know, no. if I come out and say that this organization is, uh, you know, uh, depriving freedom of speech and uh, this is not good. And uh, then this tiny organization that was made by community members, you know, they're friends. And I know, I know how much efforts they have put into uh, and then, you know, it's going to be compromised. So um, it was, a, you know, and I learned that this is how they keep it in the framework. You know, right. this is how they uh, put down people into imperial framework. And if right. anybody goes against it, they have the system in place. You know, they're going to this. The, the ordinary people, the, you know, the board members, uh, the uh, affluent community members, they would step in to eliminate those people. And when that happens, there's nothing you can do. You can't even talk about it. So um, it was an interesting, uh, uh, interesting thing. You know, this is something I've talked about in my essays 
uh, you know, how system work and uh, uh, how people are domesticated. And, uh, but when, when, when that happens to you, what are you going to do? I can't even talk about it. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but, but this you know, is, yeah, this, uh, <clears throat> this is an interesting topic because, um, uh, First of all, what happened to radical artists? Where did where did the the oppositional character of of the artist go to? It's disappeared. Um, but I mean, I this a similar thing happens here. You know, I have to keep a very low profile uh, in Norway. You know, I I post things making sure to exclude people who are um, in the community here because. You know, it reflects on my wife, on her work, on the kids, all kinds. And and there is a uniformity of opinion. Um, you know, Norwegians are nothing if not conformist and and they follow the rules and and they don't like people who make waves in any sort of manner. So so there's that. Um, and and but I think it's I think it's peculiar and this is a question i throw out to all of you i think it is peculiar that there is such a uniformity of opinion about this about russia and ukraine i mean i would expect sure they're going to follow u.s propaganda but not to the extent that it has been followed uh, it, it's remarkable johan yeah i'm just thinking about what hiroyuki said and i I tend to think uh, what you are describing in terms of this uh, this horizontal propaganda concept I've been trying to develop, but also that th this kind of exemplifies what I like to think about as as a volunteer core of the thought police. You know, I, I think you get my point. That was just basically what, what I was going to say. I, I... Well, but, but, but yeah, also, but John, I, yeah. Also, go it, ahead. It, go it, ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, it relates to these. Uh, I'm not sure who performed them, but these experiments in conformism and authoritarianism in the 50s or 60s, you know, when when you yeah, took yeah. Uh, a guy and 10 others were going to say something completely preposterous, like the longer line is, is shorter than the short line. And 60% of people like fell in line with, with this nonsense. But if just one other person dissented, then almost nobody followed the crowd. So that's an important thing to, to remember. Right, right. Uh, Hiroyuki? Well, I, I, you know, I, I've been listening to what you guys are saying, and uh, uh, the one thing uh, we probably should be looking at uh, carefully is that, um, historically speaking, we've kind of went through this with Cold War, the uh, McCarthyism, and uh, right. uh, the, uh, the the horrible uh, the the uh, persecutions in Hollywood, and uh, uh, so. Um, We've gone through this, and the government uh, uh, countered with vicious assassination, you know, schemes and um, uh, the regulations to control people, and um, so. Uh, and then we went through 9/11. Um, we went through Occupy, and we went through all kinds of things that kind of. Uh, shape people into the framework uh, with fear and uh, more control schemes, surveillance, and and also uh, dumbing down of the uh, the population in general. You know, depriving right. to think and how to be critical, and um, all that. So 
it's uh, you know they've done all the homework they've done uh, they've followed everything they should be doing and now we uh, we have this situation and um, um, so so one thing we can see is that uh, it, 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 we can present a better case uh, saying that we are dealing with um, uh, this huge mafia organization uh, installed in this uh, uh, caste system, economic caste system, and uh, the class uh, uh, extortion schemes and uh, protection lackets in on every layers uh, of our society. Um, so, it's a double-edged sword, you know, every time the government come up with all those things, uh, we are building cases saying that you've done this after this happened, you've done this and this and this, and now there is no question that this entity we that, that's um, uh, overseeing every one of us on the planet is criminal. So at some point, there will be um, a flood of um, sentiment against uh, what's going on because we can build a very, very good case, you know, at this point, there's no yeah. question, you know, but that's not happening because of what they're doing. So it's, uh, you know, it's- see, a I think, I think, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, my answer to that is, is I, is I don't know that that building a good case is is going to work. It's going to work with some people, maybe, mm -hmm. but but there is a there is a there is a a sort of psychoanalytical aspect to yeah. this this obedient populace now that that virtue signaling is is part of the the construction of an identity. And it's you know it's it's a virtual identity which is more important to people than their own identity for the most part, and and so it's waving a Ukrainian flag or booing the evil Russians or booing the unvaccinated or the dissenting voices for anything is going to um, is going to unleash this this hysteria and and there was a very quickly there, you know there have been a lot of attacks against the journalist Paul Steigen in Norway and you know he's an, an old Maoist and 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 leftist and he ran the Red Party for a long time and he's a really smart guy and I think a terrific journalist um, I think he he's not a great he needs a publicist, but um, but he's a terrific journalist, and the attacks against him included great pressure put on the Red Party, his former party, to denounce him, which they did. And the entire premise, the entire almost single factor driving the Red Party, which was very small and has now grown, was to be anti-NATO, was that yeah. Norway should be out of NATO. And now... The Red Party is very pro-NATO because it was part of the the attacks against Steigen uh, and that he needed to be denounced. And simultaneously, um, NATO needed to be embraced in the face of, you know, the great Russian invasion. And so, you know, this is how it works. And and perception 
perception management is more important than reality. Okay, uh, Varun or Hiroyuki. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think I'm just going to pull on a string that Hiroyuki was mentioning about critical points in or, or making a case against this entire narrative. And I think because people have lived lives in a way where, and I can talk specifically also in context of India, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon is that slowly we have been made to be dependent on the system. So it is imperative for the survival of a family to trust the system more than other individuals. And that kind of infiltration that has occurred, whether it's in the art world or ideology or religion or science or technology, it's all pervasive as far as I can understand. And for something like that to occur, that people can reconnect to each other without these filters that have been installed in the, in the collective cognitive map, that takes, I think, a lot of courage because the first thing that we want to do is self-preservation. That's like this instinctual kind of uh, primal behavior that we all have. And that instinct has been taken over by the establishment. And to, to, to pry people away from that is to, in a way you're threatening, you're trying to threaten them to say that uh, you're, I'm gonna take away your safety blanket. The establishment is their safety blanket. Right. And at the moment, so yeah. No, absolutely. Um, Johan? Yeah, I can, I can only kind of echo what you're saying here, Varun, because I thought about the, what you said about making the case, Hiroyuki, and on this cognitive subservience, how people are like disturbed at legitimate criticism of the system. And John, you said that people don't know what quality is. Maybe I could argue that the people don't know what the good and what the true is, if I want to bring in classical philosophy. And as you emphasized earlier, Varun, I think it's at the bottom a worldview issue that people have nothing really substantial to stand on. And I mean, that's that's why people generally don't believe in themselves, why they feel this, this relief in how the parent politicians make the hard decisions, because they don't think they have a cognitive or rational or, you know, aesthetic or experimental ground, experiential ground to stand on. And you need this ground to support a, a good convincing case of the sort here Yuki is talking about. And I was also thinking about a historical example, which uh, some of you may know much more about than I do. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, though. The, the Yellow Turban Rebellion of classical China it was um, something that took place at the end of the first century uh, AD. So this was a, a peasant rebellion based in, in Taoist principles. And they basically reinterpreted this idea of the, the mandate of heaven, that Yang Ming, the, the transcendent rational order from which all the, the all truth and all authority stand, you, you mean, you know. And, and the idea was you, you now emphasized how this, this uh, transcendent rational order was, was accessible to every every peasant, every person, which was then used as, as this rationale for, for um, you know, popular self-rule and the dissolution of, of hierarchies in a context of, uh, of violent uprisings and food riots and so on. Just as an example from, from history, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you want to go anywhere with it. Um, no, this is no, but see, this is very interesting, I think, and it's the it, it's um, 
I th I think the the if if you read you know going back to to the Frankfurt School if you read um, the the Adorno and Horkheimer if you read Ernest Bloch and Jacques Ellul and and even up to Deleuze and Guattari even Derrida any of these people Baudrillard there's there's you know there is a deconstruction of the the evolution of of Western control societies, right? These these cultures of hyper control and domination and punishment, and uh, you know we we live in the U.S. as the kind of global um, imperialist power is is also the preeminent carceral state. It has more prisoners per capita, more prisoners in real numbers, and among the worst conditions in prison. Um, the harshest sentencing laws, you know, this side of anywhere. Um, and only Saudi Arabia is probably worse. The U.S. is not yet beheading teenagers in the town square, but it could happen. Uh, so, so that's one thing. Everybody knows all of that, but something happened. There was a sea change, a, a qualitative change with, with the official total digitalization of society, the evolution of smartphones, apps, the use of, of this stuff that became so pervasive that people, as Varun keeps reminding us, people, and Corey too, completely reliant on it. You can't do anything without it. And, uh, and it is now almost absolute because the final generation of elderly people who were pre-digital pre-computer are dying out um and and the new generations are completely schooled in this technology and and comfortable with it so it's being introduced at an accelerated pace now um this has changed western and maybe human consciousness i think to a greater degree than than any of us suspect that I suspected, but the further one digs into it and starts looking at it, um, so the more the more the more sort of what's the word I'm looking malignant that whole system is, and then concurrent with that is the stuff we've talked about before with the Great Reset, the global NGO complex, the non-elected. Um, billionaires who are guiding policy globally um, at an increasing rate. I mean, I saw an interview with Bill Gates. I mean, for fuck's sake, he's not a doctor. He has no medical training. <laughs> he's asked his opinion on, on, you know, medical policy globally. He's making the decisions. He's condescending this horrible fucking voice he has and he condescends to the audience and wags his finger and scolds everybody um he's he's not a doctor but it doesn't matter you know he's a billionaire so it doesn't matter but we so that's going on that's the other branch of things that that's happening and um and so the 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 entire kind i mean we're with davos has just begun right aren't we on the cusp of recent Davos and there's like Switzerland has broken out their entire military to protect Klaus Schwab and the other attendees. Um, 
So those are the two things that are going on along with all the hyperinflation and, and in the US, the extraordinary spikes in homelessness and, and so forth. But I think that when we talk about what Hiroyuki talked about, the, the, um, the kind of McCarthyism that runs through the art world now and society in general, but it's very acute in the arts um, and, it's, and it's acute everywhere. We're also looking at a society in the West in which you know one in four people has been prescribed antidepressants. Um, it's a heavily medicated, um, increasingly obese and unhealthy society. Uh, clinical depression is on the rise. And then we have this amazing crisis of homelessness across America that is just invisible. And this is what the media does. I don't mean to go on this endless rant, but the way in which if you look at the culture industry, if you look at Hollywood, the global South is largely invisible. Um, and when it is depicted, it's depicted in um, very paternalistic white uh, supremacist terms, almost always. You know, there's no security cameras on the streets of Khartoum. So we just won't depict Khartoum. That's not part of this world, this virtual metaverse that the system is creating. Um, the same way that the homeless are not visible um, on mainstream news, unless it's, you know, a story of some wealthy savior of a handful of people or something. Um, and you read in the New York Times or Washington Post, these extraordinarily lowball figures for poverty, for homelessness, for depression, they always lowball the numbers. Um, and, and so that's what one is faced with, I think, is, is this extraordinarily um, complex set of forces that are, that are all coming together. Um, Varun? Yeah, I think, I mean, taking all of this into consideration from what uh, all, all of you said, I think if we were to look at the ideas of good versus bad, what the establishment continuously tries to do, and including like the examples of psychology and psychiatry and psychoanalysis is that the system is not broken, you are broken. So we will fix you. Yeah. And we will tell you how we are going to fix you. And that's been this continuous war that they've had against society in general. And the, the tenderness that people have, like in the sense that the dissociation that people have suffered because of this, continuous stream of violence and war on ground and then of course on television and then of course in entertainment is this dissociation from the real world situations where they're forced to kind of hide inside their own shells and after that there's a certain kind of loss of faith in self that people have gone through as far as I can see and so they're unable to understand the same kind of fragility, the violence in themselves, as well as the other. And once that goes missing, that lacuna is continuously filled by, con like, well, for example, with COVID-19, and then the Russian crisis, and then, then another one. And so we become kind of silent audience in this kind of drama that the establishment is playing with us, and they're moving us around. And we are all just wondering how is this possible and i think when when people can start to realize that we all 
primarily want the same things in life, which is a decent amount of shelter and decent amount of food and a happy family and, you know, like loving relationships with people. Those are things that, that bind society and bind families and bind communities together. But that lack of faith in the self because of how things have been post Second World War, I imagine, is, I think, central to untangle, I think. To, to, to understand that you, ha- you have to start trusting yourself rather than the establishment. Mm. You have to start trusting other people. You have to take the chance even if they're going to let you down. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So those, yeah. those are things that, that need to happen, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm in complete agreement with that, I think. Um, but Hiroyuki? I think that um, 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 uh, learning about things, educating people and... Uh, um, um, spreading the awareness of this situation is one thing. Uh, it, it's it's a very very necessary thing. Um, um, but at the same time, I think uh, it has to go with the fact that the uh, this this whole thing should be dismantled. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, <clears throat> I I don't think there's any solution short of dismantling it. I mean, Corey yeah. said a while ago, half in jest, that you know the best thing to do for you know the planetary well-being is take smartphones away from people. Um, but it's true. I mean, it's not hyperbole. It's not symbolic. It's literally true. Right. Um, I mean, the the fact that they can. Uh put fear into people, you know, uh, uh, implement all the surveillance and uh, um, they can uh, institutionalize um, everything to uh, put people into the imperial framework. These things are possible because of the, uh, the wealth accumulation. You know, it's a, it's a problem of structure. The social formation is not humane and uh, this is i think uh, the most important part that should be taught that should be taught so that people need to realize that we have to somehow get rid of this social formation or transform it into something i mean people have been uh trying uh the socialist countries have tried in many, many ways, uh, you know, accumulate the wealth and authority, centralize things and uh, uh, try to redistribute. But we have learned a lot of things. Uh, If we centralize the economy, the uh, imperial states are gonna come in, you know, they're gonna uh, encourage black markets and they're gonna exclude those socialist countries from the networks and uh, people are going to be uh, having a hard time because of that they're going to be poor and then that's going to be used against them so we have tremendous amount of knowledge what should be done what shouldn't be done so if we put everything on the table and come together saying that this is going on and uh, we have attempted different things we have you know we know things that worked in the socialist countries and that there are things that could be problematic and the reason why problematic was still the structural problem so you know it 
there, there needs to be tremendous amount of honesty, courage, and um, uh, the fact that we, we, we need to grow out of this thing as a species, because this source of formation is it's, it's self-destructive, you know? Well, I think, I, think, I think that's true. And I think the problem is, and Johan talked about this, and maybe I did too, the problem is that, that for example, I and 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 I tried to engage certain people on social media when when the Russia Ukraine conflict began, um, and a number of them were poles uh, who were former students, but uh, but people in general, a lot of Americans and so on. And uh, I remember one conversation: the guy was saying, "Well, how much does the Kremlin pay you, Stepling?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, if only." Um, but I said, you know, when the coup happened in 2014, the U.S. orchestrated this coup, and they said, oh, oh, that's just, there was no coup, only Putinists believe there was a coup, and I said, no, actually, the U.S. admits they did it. There's yeah. tape recordings of people. Uh, it's not a secret. They're proud of that coup. Uh, they're not denying it. He still didn't believe me, you know? So I sent him an article, I sent him more articles, stuff about Victoria Newland's phone call and, and the Rand Corporation policy paper and all of this didn't matter. None of that mattered. Everything I gave him was described as Russian propaganda. Now, part of the problem is that is social media itself, you know, which is structured on like negative emotion. It's, it's geared to trigger people. It is a place that encourages rage and, and um, outbursts and striking out at people. It is not a system structurally that encourages community and, and discourse. It doesn't. It, 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 it is, works to, uh, to, to stop any kind of extended discourse. And, and so, you know, I eventually blocked him because he was just screeching at me and calling me names for like three days in a row. And I just gave up, but that's the problem. You see, um, you, you can sit down with people and give them the facts as you understand them and ask them to research this a little, because this stuff is not hidden. It's not like these are secret documents hidden away in caves in Ethiopia or something. This is like you can access this shit. The National Security Archives in the U.S. are open to anybody. But nobody takes the time to do that. It's much easier. It's much less stressful to just believe what, you know, some influencer or Sean Penn or, you know, Anderson Cooper or whoever will tell you. That's who they believe. Uh and part of this is the cognitive decline, the cognitive passivity, the, the somnambulistic state of Western consciousness, at least for the bourgeoisie, which are the most heavily indoctrinated of any particular group, I think. So um, I think, I mean, you know, it, it's it, that's one of the uh, functions uh, uh, imposed by the. Uh, uh, the system. It. I mean, yeah. there are a few things. You know, people are fed fear in general, so we are sort of 
uh, you know, we can't really think straight and uh, we have um, uh, structural um, uh, impediments in many ways. Um, uh, we cannot function unless we um, obey the uh, uh, decrees. And also, uh, as you're you know, saying that the dumbing down of the uh, minds, which is also the function of the uh, institutionalized uh, imperial organizations uh, uh, ideas. And we have anti-communist, anti-socialist, anti-Marxist uh, sentiment. And all these things are part of our identities we have uh, varying degrees of these things in us, telling us that you know we have to be this way or that that way. And if we are explained about this structural problem, they see it as attack against them. Yeah. Yes, right. You know. Right. Yep. So this is a very, very difficult situation, but we could explain because, you know, it makes sense what I just said, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, like if you were in, in prison and um, uh, you, you have under strict rules and um, uh, sentencing and uh, you have to be in there for a few years and uh, it's all implemented by the uh, social um, um, values and everything you know there's no way you can imagine that you can go out of the prison and you should be free you know right i mean you know it's, it's well let me just let me just let me just well first of all johan you go ahead and then i have one thing to add to that and yeah i have this these final thoughts maybe but but just a short comment, because I, I think what you say is very, very important, both of you, that, that it's much less stressful to just believe the narrative and trust the system, because I, I think the point from the perspective of, of the managers is to just get people to this point, and then everything sort of reproduces itself according to, you know, the law of least resistance. And that's why I think all of you are actually dangerous to the system, because you make it more stressful to just sit back and believe right. the narrative. But that's right. But that's right. And what I was going to add is I'm thinking of just to use this example of this former Polish student. Now, you know, he was never the you know sharpest pencil in the cup to begin with. But, you know, but he wasn't a bad guy. He was OK. And um, and to be perfectly honest, I barely remember him. But um, but if we were in person, if we were back in the classroom that I taught and sat down and discussed this, uh, it would be much easier to convince him of the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be much easier to, to look him in the eye and listen and talk and say, no, 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 but wait, you know, um, calmly and in a, in a, a ritual space of learning, say, mm -hmm. but even not, even if it were just be sitting in the park or something with a few people or in a backyard barbecue with a few, if it were in person, there's an enormous amount of communication that occurs that does not occur on fucking social media, right. which is just an engine for, for anger and hostility and defensiveness. Uh, and, and there's no hope then. 
that you can't have that kind of discussion. And I don't try anymore. I post things and try to stop. In person, you can have a dialogue. And this is part of the system's adjustment to, to, to limit personal contact between people, to, to train the population to view the other as a danger, as a disease vector, as a source of contagion or something, uh, and to keep them masked, if nothing else, and train children to the use of masks. No, this is good for you, little Tommy. You know, yeah, you can breathe. Don't say you can't breathe. Come on now. Um, you know, the, the, this stuff is not accidental. It's not, it's not you know, serendipity. It's not, it's planned. And um, this is when, you know, people point at you and say, oh, you're wearing a, you know, a hat lined with tin foil, aren't you? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but, but, you know, but it is planned. Of course it's planned. Um, so anyway, final thoughts now at this point, Corey? Mm, I just really think it's um, like you've been writing about, John, it's just far more about optics than it is about facts now. I mean, it seems like 2020 brought on an era of, um, sort of purity wars, right? And especially amongst the liberal class where um, yeah. it's just, you know, it's just about optics and um, virtue signaling. Um, I, I've noticed something as well, just because I'm outside so much this time of year. And I started noticing this woman, I think it's easier for me to see sort of like the designated driver who's around, you know, drunk people all night drinking and they're they're not i i think because i don't use a phone a smartphone I'm, I'm able to sort of pick up on things other people do not but there's um for instance in my um little quiet neighborhood here there's a woman i started seeing in the winter pushing a newborn baby in a buggy and with a toddler that walked and it took me and i started seeing her every day and she has a phone in her hand and she never looks up from that phone ever. And yeah. it was just recently about a week ago that I saw her for her face for the very first time. And so I see people actually walking with their children or even dog walking and they they have that phone right in front of their face the entire yeah. time. Right. And so you, you have this, you know, direct, you, you have, I think you guys have talked about so much today on Vroon saying, we'll tell you what to think, right? We'll tell you what to think. Um, um, where was I going with that? It's just, <laughs> we, we have the ruling class telling us what to think, what to believe, right? Right. And, and, um, and it just seems really pervasive, but especially amongst the liberal class, much more so than the working class. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the working class is is a lot um, is far more immune to the propaganda than than the the kind of middle class bourgeoisie educated white. Those are the people that are the most indoctrinated and the most intractable, and the most I think habituated to this virtue signaling and and you know breaking down that phenomenon um, is probably worth a whole podcast onto itself because because it's a it's a relatively recent thing in its current form i think anyway johan and then Varun. yeah sure i'll just you know attempt to say something constructive on on this 
this issue of make, making the case and the secure foundations and all of that. Uh, and I mean, so, so you know, I, I always say that there is absolute truth and I think it's, it's kind of trivial to prove that. Uh, because you, 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 all, you all know, you immediately know that there is some sort of reality. You perceive and you know things directly. And if someone then wants to say that, well, this is only relatively true, you know, only relatively true to you. Well, I mean, in that case, then at least that's absolutely true. Because such a claim really, you know, means setting up this, this negative counterclaim to, to another sort of objective truth. So, so in other words, it's then absolutely true that your knowledge and your access to reality is then relative only to yourself and not to others. I mean, the, the point is that you can't really get around absolute truth in some basic sense. And my point is that what inevitably also follows here is that there, there must be some sort of existent thing that is also necessary, you know, something in reality that, that founds, that anchors this absolute truth, because it cannot inhere in a constantly and thoroughly changing cosmos forever in flux. There must be some sort of aspect of reality that, that does not change. And now since you, this, this tiny little insignificant human being that you are, since you can actually know about this necessary foundation, uh, I mean, since, since you can reverberate with this iron string, if only indirectly, you do have this immutable foundation. You do have something that all actual and possible knowledge can be securely based on. And, and this, is, this is just what classical logic is all about. And, and incidentally, I mean, this is also the meaning of this famous Orwell quote, you know, freedom is the freedom to say two plus two equals four. Because if that's granted, everything else really does follow. Yeah, um, I think the, the those are important points, and it's why it's why I think uh, it the the loss of tradition and community, um, the 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 loss of sort of heritage and the knowledge that goes with that is is um, has. Has, is a very destructive phenomenon, um, and it's it decontextualizes everything. People tend to live in this constant now, and without a firm um, inheritance of of learning of some sort, yeah. uh, people are going to people are going to um, um, be unable to to sort of engage in a meaningful discourse to arrive at some kind of resolution um and so i think i forget maybe it was adorno that talked about the the, the false resolution of of you know contemporary society is that it is that it um it it sort of creates what's i wish i could remember the quote um <clears throat> but essentially that that it provides artificial resolution to things and that uh, the result of that counterfeit resolution is, is you know, rage and bad faith and, and, um, and depression and, and all sorts of things. Um, and that result tends to feed the stream of uh, growing fascism. And and I think that's absolutely true. That kind of reactive disequilibrium or something is is the the root soil for for fascism. 
Um, and, and I think that's what we're seeing today. Varun, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I just want to carry on with what Johan was bill, was mentioning. Is uh, Let's, in the sense, like if there is an immutable truth and a field of reality from which all things arise, then even as simple as it might be that geographically, we view the world very differently, right? So, I mean, in the sense that I come from extreme hot weather and you live in extreme cold weather. And so the ways that our lives are structured are vastly different, but they're both arising from the same immutable truth of the universe, of the planet and so on. The point then becomes in how we can meet each other to create a balance of the two in the sense that I have to give you credit for the knowledge that you have and the background of you, that the background that you come from. If I do visit and I cannot expect to be arrogant enough to say that I know more about these climates than you do and vice versa in the sense that that kind of inbuilt um, self-rectification has gone missing in some way. And I, what I'm trying to point towards is that largely pop culture philosophy and the establishment's narrative from what I've understood is trying to make life into a static entity rather than a, an ever-changing entity. Mm. So relationships have to be fructified and solidified according to what suits them rather than letting life be what it is, which is continuous frothing of sorts from this immutable truth, which is the unity in that sense. And going forward from that, I think it would, it's, um, oh, now I'm losing my chain of thought. Okay, I think it's- <laughs> That's okay, no, no, but it's, it's really complicated and it's hard to talk about this stuff extemporaneously, it really is. And, and but what you describe in one sense is, is reification, the Marxist critique yeah. would be that's what reification is yeah. that's what hyper commodification is you know russell jacoby said we treat our friends like appliances yeah. and our appliances like friends Th yeah. and that that's that's the reality i think and you see actually you see that in hollywood i mean that's a trope that is that is um uh, very popular as i remember I think it was Will Smith in Independence Day. One of the ongoing gags was, I love my blender. You know, the aliens are bombing the world, but if they're going to blow up my fucking blender, we're going to have a problem. That was the joke. Well, but there's truth to it, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. Um, but also, like, in the sense that the establishment wants to replace this mystery of the yeah. truth that Johan was talking about is yeah. that they want to become the immutable truth for human society and the planet. Absolutely. 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 That's a great place to end, in fact. Um, okay, thank you all. Uh, this was really good. And um, maybe we'll do it again before another three weeks. Uh, Johan, thank you. Hiroyuki, thank you. Varun, thank you. And Corey, thank you. And Jack Littman, thank you. And no, thank you. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you guys all soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys.